the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to my mommy and her friends on Trails and Testimonies. Come on, y'all. Let's go. Welcome to Trails and Testimonies. Today we have the beautiful privilege of walking and chatting with Michael Young with such a compelling testimony. I stood up and he reached over and took me by the hand. He said, I don't know you. You don't know me. But I want you to know that God loves you and that he's been waiting on you to stop running. There's a call of God on your life and he could sure use you. Would you please surrender? A powerful testimony. Thank you so much for joining us on Trails and Testimonies. My name is Kim Fitz. You can follow me on Instagram or you can follow Trails and Testimonies on Facebook. And on this trail, we are at Cheatham Hill, where there's so much history, so blessed to be here in Marietta, Georgia. We are also blessed to have a wonderful guest and friend here with us, Michael Young. Michael and I have a unique story and a unique connection. He is a huge part of my testimony from the 1960s. I wasn't born until the 1980s, and he and I didn't meet until about 2010. But it's just the way that God paints a picture. So stay with us. Let's walk at Cheatham Hill on Trails and Testimonies. Thank you, Kim. It is great to be here in such a historical place. When we look around and we see the conflicts that are fought over our nation that happened right here on these hallowed grounds, and many lives were lost to give us the freedom that we have today. But I met Kim a few years back at the Mableton Church. One day she said, my dad's coming to church, so please pray. We're going to have a great time when he gets here. And the minute he got there, I looked at him and I said, this guy looks very familiar. (laughs) And I had to roll back in my mind about 40 years of a time that I spent living in Daytona Beach, Florida for a year after our house in Tennessee had burned down. And we got the blessed opportunity to live right on Daytona Beach. I go down to the Sun Glow Fishing Pier and I see this guy with long blonde hair. His name was Tommy. I thought, you know, this guy knows where everything's happening at. So Tommy and I became friends briefly, and I left Daytona right after that and uh, moved back to Chattanooga. Before I moved to Chattanooga, I spent a year in Vero Beach, Florida with my brother. Then I moved back to Chattanooga, where I had met this wonderful young lady that uh, didn't want anything to do with me because she thought I was too much of a rogue and too much of a ladies' man. And she said, nope, he's not for me. But little did I know my whole world would change because of that young lady. At that time, I was engaged to another girl that was living in Daytona. But God had another plan because when I I met her, we had went over to a former girlfriend's house of mine. And she sat there. and You was, were a rogue. Yes, I was. 
And this girl was getting her ears pierced, so this uh, her cousin said, here, hold her hand while I stick this needle through her ear. And I thought, what? So I sat down the next to her, and she said, just look him in the eye so you don't think about what I'm doing. And once I saw those blue eyes, my world changed forever. I knew I could never go back to Daytona Beach and that I had to do whatever it took to uh, stay there. And little did I know, she was raised in church. That would have a profound impact on the rest of my life because I wanted to do things a little differently and wanted to stay with my roguish lifestyle, and she wasn't going to have any part of that. We had plans coming up to go to the 4th of July fireworks show at a little amusement park in Chattanooga called Lake Winnipesoka. That was our first date, and we went to the fireworks show. There wasn't really a date, just a bunch of kids hanging out together. And after that, uh, I got a letter that said, Greetings from your Uncle Sam. Mm, what year is this? That was 1969. I had to go and take a physical, and I got another letter saying, Greetings, you've been inducted into the Armed Forces. You will report on October the 1st, 1969, to your local draft board, and we'll take it from there. God had a different plan. We woke up late that morning. And uh, But before that happened, I told uh, this young girl that I was dating, Gloria, we need to go get married before I have to go. And she said, I don't think I want to do this. I said, yes, you do. You know you do. <laughs> and how long have y'all been dating at that point? Uh, almost three weeks. Ooh. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> and my mother says, you do not need to do this because you're about to leave here. No telling where. Uncle Sam has plans for you to go. You don't need to leave this young girl behind. And I said, well, we're going to go do it anyway. And she said, well, I'm not going to sign for you. So be it. We'll find somebody that will. And you had, so you had to have somebody sign? At that time, living in the state of Tennessee, I did because I was only 19 years old. Okay. And how old was Gloria? 18. Okay. And so we found out that you didn't have to be that old to get married in Ringgold, Georgia. So after many trial and failures, we couldn't get anybody to sign for us. But we found out in Ringo we did, we could. So we we took off to Ringo and we got married after only being uh, dating for about maybe six weeks. September the twenty fourth, nineteen sixty nine. I was to report for induction on October the first, nineteen sixty nine. Got ready to go that morning, and uh, I overslept. We get to the draft board. And they've already left to the bus station. I told my dad to take me directly to the bus station, and they'd already left. So I get to the bus station. They said, you need to go to the draft board because they're going to probably be swearing out a warrant for anybody that didn't show up. And so I go up to the draft board. They said, what happened? And I told them I just overslept. I said, what do I need to do? And they said, we're not going to do anything. I see in your records here you're a newlywed. We're going to just pick you up in next month's draft. We're going to flag your file. And we'll send you another draft notice. We're going to get you to sign this letter. We're going to type it up saying what happened. It's just these, these things do happen. So they signed the letter. And I said, should I just come back down here? She said, no, wait till you hear from us. November came. I didn't hear anything. December came. I didn't hear anything. January, nothing. February, she is sick every morning. We go to the doctor. And he says, yeah, she's expecting a child. That changes your draft status because she's the last surviving member of her family. And I went from classified 1A to classified 4H, single head of household. 
they said, uh, make this baby a good dad because he's kept you out of the Army. And at that time, we knew Vietnam was really going hot and heavy. And so we know that God had a hand in directing my path even then. Because had we not gotten married against everybody else's wishes, I would have probably ended up in Vietnam. And I don't know if I would have ever ended up where I'm at right now. Sitting on this sitting on this log huge tree Hill. that fell down <laughs> at Cheatham Hill. Yes, and telling this story right here. But uh, God had a way, as I look back, there's an old gospel song that I love that's in that Redback Church hymnal that says, He abides, and there's a verse in that song that says, For the hand of God in all my life I see. Even when I wasn't living for God, He still had His hand on me, guiding me through different situations in life to take me to the place where I'm at right now. But I had no intentions of ever surrendering or becoming a Christian. That was for her. If she wanted to be that, that's okay with me. But see, God had a different plan. I continued with my carousing lifestyle, doing wild and crazy things. And my wife went back to her devoted serving Christ. And uh, we got a little wild and a little crazy, but she didn't. She had her and my sister-in-law, who had had become a Christian as well, began to look for churches. And they would find revivals to go to. And they would ask me, because my wife didn't drive at that time. She didn't get start driving until she was in her mid-20s. But she would ask me to take them over there and show them where this church was, where the revival was going on, so that they could go to the revival that night. So I would do that. She came back one day, and she said, you need to go to this church with me. And I said, no, I don't. She said, yes, you do. This pastor over there is phenomenal. This preacher, he's an evangelist. He is phenomenal. You need to go with me. And she kept bugging me and bugging me. And I said, look, if I promise to go, will you leave me alone? (laughs) And she said, yes. I said, all right, I'll go one night. And she said, when? I said, well, when's the last night? And she (laughs) said, it's Wednesday. And I said, that's the night I'll go. I got off of work that Wednesday, and I didn't really want to go. So I stayed in my boss's office, and uh, we drank up quite a bit of uh, adult beverages. And uh, I thought, now, when I get home, it's already too late to go. It's after 7 o'clock. She's not going to want to go. I've dodged the bullet here. I get home, and this I'll tell you how I, I kind of date myself with this, because she had my green laser suit laid out. <laughs> Please tell me that you still have this suit. I wish I did. Man. It had saddle stitching and everything. I was the, I was the walk back then. <laughs> She had this green laser suit laid out for me. She was sitting there with tears in her eyes, and she said, you promised me. And I said, yeah, I'm so sorry, but I guess we'll have to do it another night. She said, oh, no, I don't care if there's not one car left in the parking lot. We're going over there. I said, oh, goodness. I said, you're not going to want me to go. I've, uh, I don't, my breath didn't smell so good. And she said, I don't care. You promised me, and let's go. So we got in the car, and we drove over there, and they were still going in full, hard revival. The pastor was up, the evangelist was up preaching his heart out. I looked, and there was no place to sit. I said, Tom, we need to leave. There's no place to sit. She said, oh, yeah, yeah, there's some seats right there. I said, I'm not sitting on the front row. And she said, well, that's the only place to sit. Come on. So we got down there, and they actually weren't on the front row. They were one row back, but that was way too close for me. And so as the pastor was, uh, the evangelist was preaching, I keep calling him pastor because he later became my pastor. And as he was preaching, he stopped and he turned right at me 
And he said, young man, I wouldn't embarrass you for nothing in this world, but I've got to do what God has told me to do. Can I pray for you? And I'm looking around like he can't be talking to me. <laughs> and, of course, my wife has her elbow up under me saying, get up, get up. And I said, he's not talking to me. He said, you in the green laser suit. <laughs> <laughs> There's no one else in a green laser suit. No one else. Uh. I stood up, and he reached over and took me by the hand. He said, I don't know you. You don't know me. But I want you to know that God loves you and that he's been waiting on you to stop running. There's a call of God on your life, and he could sure use you. Would you please surrender? I bowed my head, and he prayed the sinner's prayer with me that night. Immediately, the effects of what I'd been drinking that day was gone. I fell in the altar, and I gave my heart and soul to Jesus Christ that night. Later, this pastor became, this evangelist started a little church, and he became my pastor. And we existed there in the little world evangelism facility on Austell Road. It was just a warehouse with a bunch of folding chairs, but it was home to me. And uh, he had that little church for about three years, and then he moved on to Pennsylvania to another church. And we picked up and started going to another little church, but it wasn't long after that that I kind of fell away and lost my way for a little while. And we got word that he was going to be back in town holding a revival. My wife said, you want to go? And I said, yeah, I think we probably should. I hadn't seen him in a long time. So we go over to this little church, and he had a prayer line. He asked anybody needed prayer, and I decided, you know, I've been a little bit wayward lately, and my life's not been quite lining up with God's Word, and I probably need to go and get prayer. And so he welcomed me, hugged my neck, and prayed for me without me telling him anything he looked at me of course you know you don't have to tell god what you've done he knows and so he held my hand again and he said mike i perceive by the spirit of the lord that you've gotten angry and disgruntled with church and that maybe you've even drifted away for a little while and he said you're struggling trying to find your place in a church he said, but I want to tell you right now that God says you're never going to find your place in a church until you find your place in God. Mm, that's good. Yes. And, Kim, I was able to hold on to that, and I've been able to hold on to that for years because we've been in different churches, and now we're pastoring a little church called Open Door Assembly of God. And he's going to be holding a revival for us in about a month there. Al Rowan will be there, my pastor, my former pastor and my friend. and. My spiritual father, he'll be coming to hold us a revival for us. I never knew back then, all those years ago in 1969, when I looked into those two blue eyes, how much my life was going to change because God was directing and guiding and keeping me from this point on. I could have ended up much worse off than I was because I was not headed down a good path. There was times that... Uh, that adult beverages had a lot more grip on my life and other other things that go along with that had a bigger grip on my life than I did. And I had to let those things go, but I couldn't do it without God's help and God's intervention and the heart of a good woman that stood by me and prayed for me and lifted me up and still does to this day. She's my strongest encourager. She's my best friend. She's my partner in spiritual warfare and i love her dearly 
and I thank you guys for the opportunity to share where I came from and how I got here. And, and you actually overcame another victory. Always been kind of health conscious. I worked out. I played football. I ran track. I did uh, a lot of athletic things. Always been very adventurous. I love. I'm a adrenaline junkie. But I had a pain in my chest, and I thought I've eaten something that didn't agree with me. I've got gas. About a week or two into taking antacids and getting no results. You know what? I just need to go for a walk. It was Saturday afternoon. I was watching the Alabama and LSU play. And uh, not that I'm a fan of either team. But <laughs> I was going to ask who you were cheering for. <laughs> I, w- I was hoping they could find a way to beat each other, but that didn't work. <laughs> and so at halftime, I told my wife I'm going to go for a walk and try to uh, get rid of this gastrous feeling that I have. And so I walked to the end of the driveway, and I collapsed. And uh, I felt all of a sudden I, I burped, and I felt the pressure go away, but the pain was still there. So I went for a two-mile walk. I came back. I was sweating for profusely, and my left arm went numb. And I told my wife, I said, I think we need to go to the hospital. And if, they, if this is just gas, they'll tell me that. If it's not... Uh, then I need to be there. And so she got ready. We went right away. We went to the urgent care instead because I didn't like to sit in the hospital waiting rooms. Urgent care did a quick EKG on me and told my wife, handed her the paper, said, get him across the street as fast as you can. And so she drove me over because we didn't even have time to wait for an ambulance to get to where I was at. She drove me straight across the street to Cobb Hospital. They did an EKG again. They saw those papers. They put me in a wheelchair and ran me down to the emergency care room as fast as they could go. And they began to give me nitroglycerin, hooked me up. And I said, what is all this fuss? I've just got gas. They said, no, Mr. Young, you're having a heart attack. And we're trying to save your life. For two weeks. Two weeks. I'd been battling with this. And it turned out they did an um, electrocardiogram on me. And they found out that I had a 95% blockage of the LAD, which is the, they call that one the Widowmaker, and a, a 85% blockage in the main artery to my heart. But the great cardio facility team there at Cobb Hospital, God bless them, I love them, they were the sweetest people ever, and they were pronto, they were Johnny on the spot, they got me back up and running, they put in two stents, and a week later I was at home, and three days later I was back at work. And I got the wonderful opportunity to tell this one young lady who is a sweet little nurse. She said, I need to listen to your heart. And as she was leaned over me with her stethoscope, listening really carefully, I said, did you hear Jesus in there? And she looked kind of shocked. She said, excuse me? I said, did you hear Jesus in there? And she looked at me and teared up. And she said, no one's ever asked me that. She said, yes, I do. And he said to tell you he loves you. And so from that day on, every nurse that came in the room said, I hear you're the man with Jesus in his heart. I said, yes, I am. And I'm so proud of that. And he's in yours and he's in yours. yours. (laughs) Everybody that I meet, I want Jesus in their heart as well. My natural heart was the one that was clogged. But my spiritual heart has been functioning just fine. (laughs) And for anyone with their heart still clogged, we can let hurt, we can let animosity, 
anger, disappointment, abuse, those things block your spiritual heart and they stunt your growth. I had a message that I preached to our church one time. I remember when we were kids, how that mom and dad used to mark the doorpost of how tall we were and we couldn't wait to come another year and see if we'd grown any. I asked my church, I said, how many of you have marked the spiritual doorpost in your life to come back a year later to see if you've grown in God? Are you still a child in God or have you grown a little bit? Mark our spiritual doorposts and get our arteries unclogged so we can grow in God because it's so important to stay alive because God has created you for such a time as this. And before we end, what I have at the end of every Trails and Testimonies, you know the song, I know you do, You're, you love songs just as much as I do. It's Happy Trails yes. to you. So in my baggie, if you'll just reach in and grab one of the quotes. Which one? Okay. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supplies. Wonderful, wonderful quote. God bless you. Thank you.